You are listening to the Joe Rogan Experience Review Podcast. We find little nuggets, treasures, valuable pieces of gold in the Joe Rogan Experience Podcast and pass them on to you, perhaps expand a little bit. We are not associated with Joe Rogan in any way. Think of us as the talking dead to Joe's walking dead. You're listening to the Joe Rogan Experience Review. What a bizarre thing we've created. Now with your host, Adam Thorne. This might either be the worst podcast or the best one of all time. One, go. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the JRE Review. If you want, if you can, if you feel like it all, you just want some free stuff, go over to our Instagram, link in the bio, um, and write a funny-ass comment on any of the posts in there, and we're giving away some free stuff to anything that makes us laugh. So we're going to send you out some some uh, goodies. Something to think about. Be funny. Don't be a bitch, like Anthony Kiedis says. Ooh, nice. Hey, hey. So what we got this week? We got Ryan Graves, Ooh. Anthony, of course, and then Andy Stump and shoot, who's Mike Sorelli. Hmm. Sorelli. Yeah. Yeah. Mikey. Wild, tough guys. Wild, tough guys. Mikey yeah. has a new book, which he mentioned. Many, many times. I think he has a few new books. He's got a lot of books. More than one. I could not be more excited to have another pilot on that's like, yeah, guys, there's fucking UFOs. And everyone just, it's, what worries me about all this is I'm starting to think that because we're hearing it, you know, this is the second really legit pilot that's come out. And he's like, yeah, they're all over the place. And we're just like, okay, what do we do with this? I mean, they all have the same accounts too, right? They're all talking about it looking like a Tic Tac or it's looking like a box with a with a sphere around it, translucent sphere. Yeah. Those are the two things, right? Or then they, maybe there's another diamond shape. I mean, there's like triangle one, a bunch of them. But yeah, the pilots talk about those two. And it's interesting that they're so different because in a way that makes me think, well, is that like two different types of alien? Mm. Or maybe they just have lots of different shaped crafts. Like, I don't know, man. I can't make sense of of much of it, but I feel like people should be more excited about it. I'm really excited about it. I just love hearing people come out and talk about it. Yeah. Dude. I know. Dude. I feel like we're close to the one that's like, oh, yeah, two of those cube things crashed in, into each other, and we went and got one. <laughs> and now we're like, we fucking got one. Yeah, it's crazy because there's so many accounts. If you look back in history, the amount of people that have talked about it, they all have the same account of what it looks like. A lot of them are similar. A lot, yeah. a lot of them. Yeah. Not all of them, but... Very similar accounts of what it what the craft actually looks. But they like. all used to be like a disc shape object, remember? And now we're not getting so many True. of those. And even Bob Lazar's was like disc shaped, so he was kind of like the more old story. And yeah, I mean they were very similar for a while. I mean, they, no, have we ever done a movie where there was like the cube with the like a sphere in a sphere inside? I don't think so. No, it's always been the 
the uh, Fire in the Sky account where it's that huge disc, mm. the bunch of lights. Homie gets lost in the woods for, what was he lost for like two weeks or something? And then they a found long time, him. yeah. And then he came back and... That was a cool movie. <laughs> I didn't see it. I still oh, haven't. Fire in the Sky. You got to watch that. Good interview, though, with Rogan. It was really compelling. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Really compelling. I mean, look, the big thing here is the military upgraded their radar in, what, 2014. They got a new system. Everything comes online. And then, holy shit, all of a sudden these things are everywhere. It's almost like having... You remember those magic eye um, images that came out like yes. in the late 80s, early 90s where you had to like cross your eyes a little bit and then go blurry and you'd see a ship yeah, in like a squiggly image? The 3D thing. I feel like it's like that because I remember sitting in the kitchen with my dad and my family like, and we all had these papers from this magazine that had these images in and you know people were talking about how great they are. And we were all we were all sat there for like an hour trying to figure out how to see them. Like no, and then we're like one of my brothers would see it, and you know you just you just there trying to figure it out. But then all of a sudden we're all on it. We all see it that it's in every picture. You can make out what the kind of weird three D image is. It must be a kind of a that's just what it reminded me of, like a weird wake up to like this moment. And all these ships are everywhere. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, holy fuck. I've been doing this for some time. We've not seen this. Once you start looking for it, right? Once they actually, once it's in their head to start looking out maybe a little bit more, they actually see what everyone else was seeing. I mean, in some ways, it seems like a dangerous distraction because they're out there for a reason. Yeah, They're out there to like keep us safe. They have mission priorities. They got stuff they got to do that's real important. And now all of a sudden, they're looking around and they have this distraction that may have been out there for the last thousand years, not interfering with us, not really doing much, maybe watching us, checking on us, but who knows? And now we're chasing around like like monkeys. (laughs) Well, maybe it's because we're closer to... World War Three, and that's why they're here. You know, they always talk about the aliens showing up above a base and the aliens showing up and, you know, disarming nuclear facilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, didn't that happen in the 80s with the Russians? There was like, during the Cold War, the aliens were messing with the controls I in think Russia. It, I think it was maybe, I think it was before that, but maybe not. Maybe you're right. Could have been the 60s? Supposedly, yeah. They came in and shut off a a nuclear base. And we're just like, there you go. Nice little warning. Easy. It's probably like an app on their phone, dude. How much more advanced would you need to be? I'm pretty sure if you could go back to the 80s with like an iPhone and you knew how to program it, you could turn off everyone's alarm. You could unlock (laughs) everyone's car. Like, you, you know, you could just break into everyone's bank account. You're like, oh, that took like two seconds. Look, at least they're watching out for us, man. I like I like these guys ha- hanging out in alien crafts. They're they're here to help us. I mean, it seems to me like they the the main reason they're here is to make sure that we don't kill ourselves and blow up the entire planet. That's when you see the most, you know, amount of alien 
craft is when, you know, the most sightings that get seen are near nuclear bases and near, I, I don't know, man. It, it seems... You're all over, like, big cities. They talked about the account towards the end in the 50s when there was a bunch of sightings of UFOs over um, the White House. I was surprised Joe hadn't heard of that story because, I, you know, I don't follow these things too closely, but that had come up before that I'd heard that there were literally, like, multiple crafts just yeah. kind of flying over the White House back then. And it, take that same example. Imagine 20 years from now, we have whatever radar technology they have on their planes, we have it on our phones. So with, there's already those Samsung phones that can take pictures of the moon, like really detailed in like a weird way. Imagine if we can just hold our phone up mm-hmm. and it just does this scanning thing where it's like, oh yeah, there's one of those things and there's another. But we're still so far away from capturing them, knowing what they are. It's just now everyone can see them. Do you think that we're just we're just going to carry on like normal? It's like, okay, there they are. We know it. People have talked about it. It's like we don't know what it is. Is isn't that what the government wants though? They want us to they want us to figure it out slowly rather than them coming out and telling us, but I I keep going back to Snowden not finding anything when he you know, he searched the databases. He knew everything about the NSA, and he still came out and said that he did not find anything that had to do with an alien cover-up. Maybe they don't know shit. Government. Maybe the the only thing that throws that off is Bublazar, right? Yeah. The only thing that throws that off is the Bublazar discussion, and it's like, oh, the military know or the government knows. They've got a secret thing. And, but well, and they've known since Roswell, dude. According to that stuff, but maybe they don't know anything. Maybe they're as clueless as we are picking up on these things. Maybe the most that anyone knows is what the pilots are picking up. That's what makes it difficult to navigate this whole thing. Well, and Chris kept saying he that now that they can document it without getting in trouble or laughed at. So maybe we're just going to see more pilots coming out. I mean, that's. That would be cool, right? Well, we got to close the stigma to it. I think now it's legitimized enough to where if people are seeing some things, you know, they aren't immediately crazy. Yeah, you're not crazy at all anymore if you see it. Hmm. They're everywhere. (laughs) I haven't seen one. (laughs) I don't think so. Not close up. Yeah, I think think, uh, I've seen some things that look weird. But then I'm sure you can, you know, dis- just dismiss so much of what is seen by regular people. But by someone as highly trained as this guy, um, it's hard to dispute. Well, and it, at least at the end, he said there's nothing like an alien attack to unite the planet. He's got a good point there. Oh, if yeah. If we want to unite each other as a, as a whole and not just the United States of America, but all of the earth together would unite as one person to figure out how to, you know, how to come together and, and fight the aliens, yeah. dude. Like Rogan talking about the uh, Reagan speech to the UN. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is no better way. <clears throat> we love fighting with each other, but if they turned on us, we'd have to change direction real fast. I'm just glad he admitted at the end that it was not a human thing that he saw. 
because he kept skirting the question. I feel like the whole time he was he was just he was just a navy guy. So he's answering it like a cop, right? Mm-hmm. He's answering every question like a cop. Mm-hmm. And you know, using technical terms and saying, "Well, I can't really answer that because I don't know for sure." It's like, "Well, what do you know, dude? Just give us a give us a regular answer and stop acting like the secret service." I I felt that. There's so much pressure though on these guys. You know, like he's well respected now, and this almost could be something where he goes back to his base or, you know, the aircraft carries on, and they're like, oh, there's that wacko. And then who knows? People that work with him are like, we we should take some of his clearance away. He's off the rails. Yeah. You think that would happen when he comes back from the Rogan show? I mean, not now. no. No, he handled that well. The other guy, um, Commander Freva, he wasn't he'd retired, I think, by the time he went on Rogan. I don't know if this guy has, so he might have to walk a little bit on eggshells, which is reasonable. Is did he make up the ultra terrestrial theory? He was the one who saw it go under underwater, right? That was Fravor? I think so, yeah. Yeah, he saw it go down. The mothership mm-hmm. under the water. Yeah. It's just, it's so crazy to even live in a time when we get to talk about this, though. And, like, legitimately talk about it. This isn't, like, the conspiracy theory podcast where we're like, oh, one guy said that he saw a thing in the woods, and there's, you know, this other dude saw Bigfoot. I mean, I, I almost don't know how anything could be more legit at a point where we don't have any physical solid evidence. We're just talking about sightings alone. How could there even be a more compelling story? You would think we would see... They, if they wanted us to see what was going on, They, it's almost like the aliens know that if we were to see them and if they came into contact with us more, it would screw shit up. It, but it also might be what Joe says a lot. They don't give a fuck. But if they didn't give a fuck, we would see them more. Right, like what I'm saying is, is instead of just these airline pilots and well, not just airline pilots, Navy pilots flying the most advanced aircraft in the world, they're the only ones who are reporting these on a constant basis. Right. Well, look at it like this: so we have found some islands, and also some basically kind of like untouched tribes, and they're really there is a bit of a rule about like not just going in there and being like, hey, here's money, here's an iPhone, here's how to buy crypto, here's how to, let's buy your land and like just take over. I mean, we just leave them be because it's rare and it's unusual. It's just like, they're still humans. Why would they not want the advances that we've come up with? They probably do. But also we just kind of leave them be. We study them a bit. I don't think we try and bother them all that much. And that's the same species. Imagine meeting a different type of thing that we would just want to learn about. You know, when they make those nature shows, you know, like the BBC or Planet Earth or whatever, it's like they we're just recording them from a distance. And don't get me wrong, humans fuck with animal habitats all the time and mess with the way they live. I mean, we've done it forever. But when we're capturing them, you know, on video... And we just want to kind of 
set up an understanding of like how they exist. We're doing it from afar, kind of out of the way. So it's something we already do. So, so it wouldn't be that weird for them to do the same thing. Not saying that they're all that concerned about us. They're just like, this is how we roll. We're just, just watching from afar, keeping an eye on things. Sometimes, sometimes they see us, you know? Sometimes the aliens will poke a head behind the tree and one of the pilots is like, look at that. What is that? And then it fucks off. I mean, they're but, bored. They're like getting drunk in their alien crafts and they're saying, hey, why don't we go to Earth today and just see what these idiots are up to? Yeah. Let's let's check it out. Maybe it's that. Maybe just it's just bored. like VR goggles and it's like the teenagers of the alien world and they're just curious, nosy, and having a great time. Yeah. Fucking with us. Yeah. It's like us hanging out in Yellowstone watching the bison, dude. I think what we've really just discovered here is we have no idea so anything is possible with these guys anything but i i thought it was compelling i hope that this guy comes on again oftentimes when people come back on rogan and they haven't faced a lot of controversy they get a bit more relaxed Mm -hmm. you know i mean elon was definitely well not that he wasn't relaxed the first time he smoked weed but when he came back on it was a different elon i mean yeah. The conversation was different. It was more chilled. It was more open. And maybe when this guy comes back on, we're going to learn some other stuff or he'll throw some more of his theories out or who knows. I mean, but yeah. definitely a smart dude. Yeah, Rogan was having a hard time breaking into a more cozy conversation with, with this dude. Should have got him some whiskey. Something. Yeah. Get Something. him some whiskey, dude. Come on, you can drink in the military. All right, let's jump over to... Anthony Kiedis. My man. What do you think of this guy? Dude, I, I mean, I love the Chili Peppers. I love Kiedis. I love... Uh, I, I just thought it was a really natural conversation. They felt like old buddies. I think they have known each other a while. Didn't their yeah. kids go to school or something? He said their kids went to school together. I didn't realize Anthony Kiedis had a kid. I don't remember that. I read his book, and I don't remember him having a kid when he wrote that book, uh, Scar Tissue. Well, he must have had when one did like he right write at the it? end. It was at least 10 years ago. I don't know how old his kid is, a teenager. Rogan's kid, the youngest two, I think are like 9 and 12. So if it's the youngest, yeah. a decade ago he wouldn't have had one. But dude, 60 years old? Legend. Come on. He looks 40. He's doing great. Fucking awesome. All those drugs and still looking that good. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, look at the Rolling Stones. Yeah. You know, Mick Jagger is as old as the president, and he's in way better shape. Like, running around, putting on great rock shows. You know, I th I think that once these guys get, I would say, past the demons that come from drugs, and I still don't imagine they quit them all the way. It seems like he's sober. Anthony is, but some of these guys still have dabbled and dabbled. But once you get past the darkest moments of it, you know, they're thinking about how do we keep moving? How do we keep putting on a show? And, you know, how many nights of being exhausted, sweaty, getting fat do you think, wait, we need to mix, switch this up. We need to get healthy. We need to be able to keep putting on these great shows. 
it probably like a pressure comes with with some of the older bands. I, well, with I mean, with Kiedis, he's so into putting on a show, and he, the drug is him on stage. Mm-hmm. He needs to be on stage. He needs to feel alive on stage. Yeah, and that is his drug now. I saw it's these the guys one. in California, and what a place to do it when when Californication came on there. The place went nuts. Pretty sure it was at the Staples Center. Mm. And what a show. Unbelievable. They kept everything pretty simple, too. Wasn't a lot on the stage when it came to kind of, you know, the theatrics the bands like to put on. They kept it really pretty simple. And they rocked the fuck out of that place. It was so fun. Dude, I watched that... um that documentary about Woodstock '99. Did you see that one yet? Oh, where there was like shit everywhere, and well, yeah, and then people started, you know, burning stuff. And then the promoter of the show talks to Kiedis before the Chili Peppers were about to go on stage. The promoter of the show goes up to Kiedis, and this is behind the scenes, obviously. Hey, man, can you try to calm down the crowd? You know, they're lighting shit on fire because they they gave the crowd a bunch of candles. Oh, bad idea. Right, and so they're starting to burn shit. So Kiedis, Kiedis kind of plays it off. All right, yeah, man, we'll, whatever, we'll be fine. And then they then they fucking play Fire by Jimi Hendrix. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just lights Savage. up everybody, dude. Savage. Just the total opposite of what he was asked to do. He's like, yeah, dude, no. We're going to we're gonna play the song that's going to fire everyone up, and let's go. Yeah. Let's have some fun. And cause things to burn down real fast. Well, it just goes to show the energy of the Chili Peppers. I mean, and musicians in general, but the Chili Peppers just have that punk rock rawness to them. I mean, Kiedis was talking about how, you know, he grew up listening to Black Flag and Grandmaster Flash and Henry Roll- you know, Henry Rollins was one of his, I mean, obviously that's the singer of Black Flag, but they were listening to that shit. It was way funky and like hip-hop style. Back mm-hmm. in the day, they were just playing house parties, and it was this new sound. Yeah. It was such a new sound. Yeah, Rollins is a super interesting guy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Rollins is a crazy motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For <laughs> sure. He's known Rogan, I think, a long time. Rogan always talks about the incredible sound system that guy has at his house. He, I mean, it's literally like a $200,000-plus system. For just him, really, you know, as purely as sound can be created, just chilling to that at his place. Well, and he he just is a music historian, right? Mm. Yeah, super smart guy and incredibly intense, like on major lunacy level too. Didn't he talk a bit about hunting? Like he wants to get into it or he's thinking about it or he just no. appreciates the nope. process no nope. nope. he said he he said he couldn't kill any animals he's a, he's a softy Kedis is a Kedis has a such a huge heart for animals but what he was saying is that he he will eat any he's on a new diet now where he's just eating like snake and freaking wild boar he That's said wild right. boar was his the no you're thing. right so he he appreciates that, like how that that meat is good. He can't do it himself, but he understands why you should get it, like 
that yeah. way. Yeah, he gets that that's the best meat you're going to get is the is the wild animal. Mm. Well, he went to a um he went to what was it? I got in my notes. Aaron Cochran was his she studied his genes, right? She took his um his 23 and me. Uh-huh. Uh like what is that? The 23 profile. Me profile. Yeah. And and once she looks at your profile, she looks at your blood and your genetic history and and can tell you what it is you should be eating to be at your optimum level. You really think they can do that? I don't know, but that I want sounds, I want to cool, try. It. I want to try it. Well, what did they end up with? You need to eat more rattlesnake? What does yeah, that mean she, about you? She basically said Ketus is a fucking wild animal and <laughs> needs to eat wild animals, dude. <laughs> That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I mean, look at the guy. That makes a lot of sense. What Joe brought up when he first went hunting on Meat Eater, that's when he first got into it. And it's cool for me today, living in Bozeman, is actually your brother-in-law and I are going to Meat Eater Season 11 um, launch party mm. over at uh, Schnee's, where I bought my boots. Is that today? So, yeah, we got it at six. Nice. So I get to meet Steve and chat with him. Um, <clears throat> something, something really cool happens when you know people that not necessarily get into hunting, but start to see the value of the type of meats, and then therefore the pursuit that it takes. And I, I really appreciate that. You know, because they're they're not all coming from walks of life that are like, you know, they lived in Wyoming anyway, and they just eventually got into hunting. I mean, this guy is California through and through. Like, he should be a vegan at this point. Yeah, but they're learning that shit doesn't work. He tried to be a vegan. I mean, it's kind of like Rick Rubin. Same thing. Mm. They tried. He tried it. He thought it was the right way. No chance. It reminds me of just going back to what it is to be your best self, and that is to like take into account where we came from and what drove us as in our ancestors. Like, what did we actually do back in the day? We fucking hunted, dude. We were insanely intimate with our with our with nature and just with our, with the animals, with the fucking plants. I mean, we are so disconnected from that now. I feel like people are just realizing that what makes us human is the shit that we eat and we're eating so much garbage and people are just realizing again, oh yeah, all we really need is some protein and some veggies and some plants and we feel great and maybe we should not, take too many drugs like Anthony Kiedis did and we'll feel better but um, being humbled by that and then being humbled by the cosmos too and being on Mauna Loa they talk about being humbled by the cosmos yeah and how much you can see and how much we don't see because of the light pollution anymore that that tripped me out because you see some of those photos from Hawaii and Mauna Loa I mean, it looks like you're in outer space, which obviously we are, but we, for, we forget. <laughs> we forget. We, we fucking are. forget, dude. We, we are, are just floating through this. 
Right. We're not separate to space. But our and but it, that brings me back to my point about like hunting and being a part of this world. We we don't understand how we're a part of nature anymore. Mm. And the cosmos, dude, we're floating around on a fucking rock. And do you think I, that's the other side? So let's go back to Rick Rubin when he spoke to talked about him and obviously Rubin was on last week. He was saying that um, Rick worked with him, liked that stuff. He didn't hear from him for a decade or so. Oh, right. He talked about When that. he comes back to him, you know, we Rick was a beautiful soul. Let's be honest. Yeah. Just a master class of a human being all around. And someone that really goes from his feelings, his connection, right? Mm-hmm. He's someone that never stopped looking at space or under, like being as close to that kind of nature end. Even when he was a vegan, he was doing his best there. And he saw them on drugs in a dark place. And he said to um, Anthony, I felt like you were going to kill someone or right. yourself or whatever he said, right? There was just some darkness there. There was some detachment from the thing that you're talking about. That's what I thought about with it. And I really enjoyed that. I was like, ah, you know, Rick had almost like he had his finger on his own pulse, on the pulse mm-hmm. of connection and his path, like in in the truest way, even though it didn't always work for him. But it wasn't like he went to the darkness of drugs and 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 problems. Well, he he didn't even know those guys were on drugs at the time. He just could feel the yeah, energy he just knew was negative. Something was wrong, right? <clears throat> How about the um so when Kitas first got his start, he talks about when he was 21, he hadn't ever sang before. He was just going to shows. He was friends with these guys. He's partying, he's dancing. And then he said one of his his gay black friend brings Anthony up and and tells everybody in the room, this is in 1983, like, let Anthony sing. Just let him sing. Straight up. And and Flea and I don't know who else was in the band then. Was John in the band then? I I don't even think. No, Chad wasn't in the band. It was just Flea and whoever else, two others. And the promoter at the time, they let him sing one. They let Anthony just get up and sing one song. And the promoter was blown away and said, come back next week and sing a couple more songs. And that was it. It was that one time. It was just Anthony's buddy told him, hey, man, why don't you just get, why don't you guys let Anthony sing? Did he have and songs ready? I don't, I don't fully remember that. I, I just it. have it starred where it's, I, I just wrote gay black friend telling Anthony to sing a song in 83. Let Anthony sing. And then, you know, he started writing a ton. After that, and that would then that was it, and they were a band. Damn. And Anthony was was the singer, because because he was talking about how much musically how musically inclined everybody else was in the band, and how they all went to, you know, I don't know if it was Juilliard or whatever. They'd all been musicians, mm-hmm. and Anthony's dad was an artist, so he was he always kind of had that inclination to be an artist, but he was never trained as a musician but once he got on stage it was it was just undeniable he just felt it it was undeniable he said that minute he got on stage it fucking just 
every ounce of his body told him, yeah, let's do this. Imagine that feeling. I can't even imagine. Like, thank God he did it. Where we where would we be today if he was just like, nah, I'm not into it. I'm too nervous. I'm not willing to make a fool of myself or fail. I'm just going to just, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Mm. Yeah. That would suck. Wow. <laughs> or or it would suck even more if Ruben didn't push him to do under the bridge. You remember him talking about that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was Ruben. He goes, what else do you have? What else do you have? Right. And that was when he got him. That was uh, the first time. That was blood, blood sugar, sex, magic, right? That's oh, no where under shit. the bridge yeah. is off of. Mm-hmm. That was, I mean, that's the most iconic song, the Chili Peppers. I mean, there's so many other just as amazing songs. But if you were to ask some rando on the street, what is your favorite Chili Pepper song? That's the one. Love that. God. What he talked about, like, you know, hanging, driving through the, on the freeway on his uh, motorcycle and seeing some hard ass motherfuckers listening under the bridge in their convertibles. Like, Amazing. Oh, man. That must be so wild, you know, for him. I mean, especially still living there. Uh, I know you were saying the other day, like, people might not recognize him all that much, but there they must immediately. If he went into a coffee shop or went and did something, and and it resonates through generations. Like, he's way old now compared to people still really enjoying his music or just finding it out. It's timeless in a lot of ways. And it's so fun. It's one of the funnest types of music is Chili Peppers. Well, yeah, because like I said, it has hip-hop, it has funk, it has rock and roll, there's dance. I mean, it's all over the board. Mm-hmm. Love that guy. Love that guy. I've got, I got one last note, though. I, th- I thought this was cool, dude. Do it. When he went, he, he gave his last 10K when he first went into rehab. He had 10000 yeah. bucks in the bank. That must have sucked. Goes to rehab gets talked into it or whatever, realizes he, he needs to go. Out of the 30 junkies, like his, the guy that was running the, the rehab, you know, the first speech that he gave, out of 30 junkies, one of you is going to get sober. Remember he said, that's going to be me. I'm fucking, that's me. That was fine. That was intense. And he had, what did he have, like athletes, you know, stockbrokers, like all walks of life, which... Right. Isn't it? It was. It is. That's a really important message to give out. Everyone that has never experienced those drugs likes to just be well. That's for losers, right? That's no. for people like homeless, whatever. And it's hey, no, not always true. It's it can be all sorts from all walks of life that lose control of these things. Mm-hmm. And that was what was in that room, and that. Type of commitment, too. I mean, I guarantee that's something that he drew strength from for years to come. Yeah. The fact that I want that spot. I mean, could be desperation, but it also could be motivation. I well, mean, we're proud I think of him it was music, baby. If he didn't have yeah. music, he'd be dead. Right? That's the purpose. Something to live for. Yeah. Like something to really just strive towards. Love that. Well, 
On that note, let's jump over to some highly motivated motherfuckers. Andy Stump. And shit, I forgot the other guy's name. I feel terrible. Mike. I said that twice. Mikey Surreal. Surreally. Mm. There we go. Yeah. These guys are, well, they're savages. If you're, if you're special forces, you've put it in. You've seen some things. You've done some stuff. Yeah. So now they're out. You know, one of them's writing multiple books. The other one is, <laughs> you know, Andy inspires a lot of people. He's got, you know, a world record that he doesn't hold anymore, but it's for basically the craziest thing I've ever heard. That's the speed suit, right? Yeah, that squirrel suit. They the call squirrel it. suit. Yeah. What was the world record? Just as like the biggest vert? distance ever traveled. And I think it means not vertically, right? Obviously. Because okay. you could just jump out of a jump from space. Right. It, it means like horizontally. Yeah. The furthest distance. So he obviously jumped from really fucking high mm-hmm. and then just kept zipping out there until, you know. Hopefully he didn't freeze to death or pass out. But, yeah, squirrel suits, dude. If you're in a squirrel suit, you got to be asking yourself some serious questions. How did I get here? What am I trying to achieve? And hopefully you don't have a lot of kids because that's kind of irresponsible. They didn't talk about having kids. I don't think they do, do they? I don't know if Andy does. Didn't, he didn't bring it up. Well, the special forces guys, and usually are pr- pretty like family focused, you know, in a lot of ways, they got families. So I wouldn't be surprised if he does, but no, he didn't really talk about him. He no. lives, Andy, I think, lives in Montana, lives up north near Great Falls, I think. Oh, yeah? Hmm. Up by Kalispell somewhere or in Great Falls? Uh, maybe there, yeah. You, well, your geography of this place is better than mine, but. Yeah, we I we know some guys here that know him. And um yeah, this is where he wants to chill. Maybe to get some hunting or just get away from it all. I don't know, but he's he's a fascinating dude. They, they you know, both these guys they had a lot of bro talk. You got to give it to them. They were yeah, they were they growing were out. They were broing down. They were broing out, giving each other a hard time constantly, which I like. You can only imagine how much shit they give each other just when they're off the air, I think they even Dude. turned it down while doing the pod, and, he, and it was even a little much. I was like, oh, Jesus, dude, chill out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there, was, there was some bro talk. I mean, it's, you know, there, it's a fraternity of sorts, right? You're in the oh, SEAL definitely. team. I mean, yeah, definitely. these guys go through 26 weeks of grueling training. I I, I didn't know what to expect with this conversation, and it definitely made me, you know, rethink the importance of pushing people to their limits. I, I mean, look, y- you think about what the SEAL team has to go through. I don't know exactly what they go through. I know it's fucking grueling, but after hearing these two and talking about Hell Week and the gassing and getting shit for it and realizing the people that when they talk about the people that get through it um that you wouldn't expect that's mm. that's what I love I love to hear about that that dude the asian dude who was an astronaut and who got through it and mike was saying yeah when i was 
you know, going through with this guy, I thought for no, no fucking way is this dude going to get through Hell Week. There's he's no also way. A, he's also a doctor. Right. Doctor and he was an astronaut. Or both? How do, how do you do dude. both of those things? Dude. I mean, Would you if you met this guy and he's like, yeah, so basically, I'm a doctor in space, but also a Navy SEAL. Yeah, you'd be like, nah, unreal, what? dude, unreal, legend. Joe should have him on for sure. Just a, you know, wow. Like I don't know what kind of drive that is, but that just shows the level of you know, achievement. I, I hope he gets that dude on. <laughs> I they didn't did, write they down did open name. up, though, about the controversies with the training and how, I guess, they had a kid that died. And yeah. that's awful, right? Um, I guess there's, like, two things that I wanted to cover. One, I agree with them when they say, because they know, that it should be that intense. Yeah. It should, I mean, maybe not the exact, like, circumstances that led to this person's death, but it needs to be as hard as possible. They can't baby people. Right. It needs to be hard. They've got safeguards. They've got medics out there. They've got people checking vitals. They've got people on them, you know. So there's a balance, but there's, I just felt like there's a balance there because there could easily be some nuances that lead to... Um, people dying, and it shouldn't be potentially a path to death as well. I didn't really know how to think about it. But remember, I'm coming at it as a fucking podcaster. What the fuck do I know? Well, like they said, coming at it as a civilian, you don't realize what you go through until you go to war. So none of these guys even realize until they go for their first deployment. They don't fucking know what they're going to see when they go to war. So as hard as it is, I don't know if we have the ability as civilians to even make a choice on that matter because we haven't been to war. No. So I, I, I was in agreement. as shitty as it is and as fucked up as it is that you have to go through that and sleep for two hours a week. What do they say during Hell Week? You get two hours of sleep on a Wednesday? It Unreal. What? But... If that's what it takes for you to go overseas and... I've seen you on two days in a row of not very good sleep. Oh, it's horrible. You're useless yeah. in here. Mm. And I try not to even put myself in that situation, <laughs> and I'm pretty fucking useless sometimes, too. Like, it's, it's uh... so bad. And these are deadlines that have nothing to do with physical endurance. It's I cannot believe that people know how to hold it together under those circumstances. And I guess the only way you would is if you were put in it. Yeah. You know? I just do hope that they are monitored, right? Let's say I would I would even be happy for them to raise the bar in difficulty, but increase how well they're monitored. Yeah. And it's not to say that someone comes in and gives them a hug when it gets scary. I don't mean that. But just really watching as closely as possible so that they just, if they can't handle it, they get the opportunity to quit or the advice to do it. And then the very strongest can just be really closely monitored and they stay pushing forward. 
It's just it's just a shame that people have to die in a training program, period. Maybe I'm being too soft. No, I don't think you're being too soft. I just wish that there was a way they could <laughs> give these guys a bit of a break. I mean, let them go through hell, maybe three nights of no sleep, but seven fucking days of two hours of rest. I That to me just seems so crazy. But also saying that, Put yourself in the situation to where you've got a team, you're out in Afghanistan. Yeah. You've had nine days where you're like cut off. There's a storm, you're in the hills, you just running out of supplies, you've been under attack. It's it's you know, almost ten days in, almost no sleep. You would hope and really pray and require that at least everybody there has trained close to that point. That's true. Because otherwise things would just fall apart really quickly, you would imagine. Yeah. I mean, you even take simple tasks, you know, of like some stuff we do around the studio. We got a list of things to do for the day. You know, one of us hasn't slept well. We've got, oh, got to make these calls, reply to these emails. Like I've got a bit of a headache. It's like, Stuff falls apart fast. And it's only through even just kind of being consistent within this realm, this like small environment that we have, the way we're like, yeah, we're going to push through today. We're going to really make this happen in the, you know, the studio setting, which is honestly the lamest example. But it's, it makes more sense because most people listening will work in cubicles. They have regular jobs. It's like they know the difference between people at their own workplace that can push and those that can't. And the only way those that can do it is by training it. Yeah. Even and though it, it sucks. And, and it's as a team, right? He talks about it. it this, it, it, it enforces people. It, it, like, it brings them together when they're doing it as a team. I mean, if they've all been through the same shit, there's just a camaraderie that you don't get through anything else. As shitty as it is, as fucked up as it is for you to go through that, if you've all been through it together, you are brothers for life. Yeah. Brothers, sisters, whatever. I mean. Yeah. it's it's, You you just have that commonality of something you've been through before. And... And, you can and we can't yourself. understand, but we no. can't understand it, the shit that they've been through. And I liked, I liked when they said that some things maybe should kind of just be left in more of a secretive fashion, like they used to be. Why does everything have to be transparent? Why did right. Obama say it has to be transparent? And I don't think that we should like film and make all that type of training you know, accessible to everybody. I mean, think how secretive the CIA is. And they're doing all sorts of different stuff. Yeah, It's like they don't, we don't have to make it known what kind of hacking, you know, procedures we have in the U.S. for hacking other places. And honestly, I'm glad we do it. If people are hacking us, hack them back. If people <laughs> are attacking us, attack them back. But the way that we do it should probably be secret. They should keep it secret. Yeah, I think that's totally reasonable. It it would be you know it's almost a little bit scary to to think 
that we would just put it all on the table. This is how we do this. Here's the movie, the new G.I. Jane. Like, this is the training. I did like that they talked about MMA fighters and gave a breakdown of them and then kind of, like, raised the level to what they do. And they're like, yeah, those guys are crazy. What they can do is nuts. Getting in that octagon, doing that, and that's just a sport. Right? I mean, at least Stump could respect it, though. I mean, because he's been doing training himself. Mm -hmm. He could see, even if somebody's rolling around on the ground for 25 minutes, there's actually a ton of skill in that. Well, it's kind of what brought him into it. Yeah. I think that because he's someone that loves to challenge himself, he's like, hey, there might be another level to this. He didn't get out of the military and then say, oh, yeah, I'm the baddest mofo. He went, oh, I got some other things to learn. And he talked about how humbled he is all the time or constantly humbled, constantly just beaten up with all their skill sets. It's like that's that's a good thing. I mean, Jocko talks about this so much. Just, oh, you know, you think you're tough? Yeah, I watched the video today. It was great. I think it's on his Instagram um, where he was talking to Theo Vaughn, mm. which is always great. But the fact that those two are holding conversations makes me happy in my heart. I just wish Jocko had a had a mullet like Theo. <laughs> right. Imagine Jocko with a mullet. <laughs> but he's talking and, and he's saying, how long do you think it would take to tap you out? And this is before Theo did any jiu-jitsu. And Theo was like, oh, I don't know, a couple of minutes. And Jocko's like, no, dude. No, I would smash you. And he wasn't trying to be a dick. Yeah. He was trying to lay down some reality. And he ended it with, look, man, when I first started that, I was already a Navy SEAL, and I thought I was tough. And I went in thinking, yeah, well, I'll be okay. I'll do some minutes and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, I was destroyed constantly. Yeah. And it's, I think it's such an important, humbling lesson, not just jujitsu, but like realizing that anything you don't really know or you haven't trained, you're not going to, you're just not going to be able to do it. You can't just imagine. Well, it's a, it's a different set of, of realities when you go into a ring with someone who's been trained to kill you. Yeah. Well, Joe <laughs> specified that. He was like, yeah, it's just a different thing that yeah. you haven't done. Like, yeah. of course, you're not going to be able to do it. Like, you can't just take one skill set and think, or even multiple, and be like, oh, yeah, in every area I can apply this. No, it's right. not going to happen. Not going to happen. I so, want to end up on the charity thing that they were doing. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. So now they're jumping out of airplanes in the North Pole? Fucking, like... Antarctica? Something. I guess that's the South Pole, isn't it? Was it there? Why are they doing it there? Because you can... Sounds cool. No, because the air is so thin there, right? The, he was the, saying the air is thinner that you fall faster. That was that was what I. Why are they in such it. a rush to get to the ground? More fun, more more exhilarating, I guess. So it's a million colder, dollars. Fucking yeah. way colder. God, is it going to be cold? It's a million dollars to tandem with uh, Andy, and you can buy, I guess, a bunch of other um, positions within the team. Trying to raise seven mil. A lot of dough. Hell yeah, but good luck to them. I yeah. hope they get it. 
I hope some rich asshole out there buys that million dollar one. That'd be sweet. It'd be dope. I mean, that's a hell of an experience. And good for them. And what are they giving the money to? <sighs> Damn it. This is like a one job talk. <laughs> no. I was I was too busy thinking about the coldness of the air and how fast they were driving out of an airplane. It's gotta be for uh troops or I, I thought people. it was I thought it was for people coming back from war that don't have a dad. Or, okay. or so families. Support, yeah. So he was talking about families that, you know, have lost their father from combat. Oh, that's and right. Yeah. You get four hundred thousand dollars um from the government when that happens, right? It's you mm. get like this life insurance policy basically, right. which four hundred grand is not enough for someone who loses their dad when they're eighteen months old as a child. Yeah. And then you have a single mom. So that that's what the money's going towards. That's awesome. Bam. So support, Remember. Well done. Nailed it. Thank you. Support them, you know. And and also, if you go to the podcast where you heard this, Rogan's podcast, there's a link to that charity. You know, make an effort. Get in there. Put some money in there. You know, even if it's 10 bucks, 5 bucks, it doesn't matter. Like, if enough people did, you know, so many people can do 5 bucks. Yeah. Every single person listening to this podcast now can afford 5 bucks. If you just went on there and gave that five bucks, it it'd be something big for sure. Like, and fuck it, these guys need it. Like, how brutal is that for them to even go through? I'm yeah. I mean, we're ending the, on the a bummer, families. The families need it, but no, the bummer they talked about. It's not. It's not a bummer to jump out of a plane. That's fun. Mm-hmm. They're doing fun shit. Yeah, and it's helping. It's helping veterans as well. I mean, right. you're, you're helping families of vets. Yeah. I'm going to commit right now. The pod's going to give some money to their cause this month. And we get to, we're fortunate enough to give um, to a different charity each month. We mostly focus on Fight for the Begotten, which I love. Justin Wren, shout out. Love that guy. But uh, I think this month we're going to give to, we'll also get to fights, but. We're gonna give we're gonna give something to to the skydiving challenge, and uh, also I have no interest in skydiving over the North Pole. That's just me. Where you at, Todd? I would love that. I was I was trying to look up the actual name of the charity. I'll put the link in the bio. It's on Rogan's um, thing, and you know he already said it. Triple so the triple seven expedition. Love that. Yeah. 100% of the funds raised during 777 go directly to Folds of Honor. That's what it was. Okay, dope. Dope. I'm going to go in and give it now. All right, guys. On that note, that's all we got this week. Thank you for listening, as always, and tune in next week if you want. Love you. Stay awesome. <laughs> <laughs>